Father, we give you thanks that no work is too hard for you, that in faith we can receive from you. And so now, Lord, as we come to this part of the Bible, with all its promise and goodness, but Lord, also with its challenges, Lord, we pray that you would be with us and that you would speak to us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts bless your name, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name. Amen. I told you this morning um, that this past week has marked two sort of anniversaries for me. Now, they're not particularly exciting anniversaries. Ten years ago last week, I left school. But the other anniversary that we didn't celebrate was on the 1st of July, which was last Monday. Fourteen years ago, on the 1st of July, 2005, it was a momentous day for the McCracken family. It was the day that we moved house. And I remember it for all kinds of reasons, because the day was a complete disaster from start to finish. It began with the removal men who let us down. They had their van loaded up at the previous house they were meant to be moving, and there was some issue with planning permission. They couldn't do the move. Their van was full of this stuff. They had nowhere to unload it. They couldn't move us. Then we couldn't get the piano out of the house. We were moving ourselves. We couldn't get the piano out because there'd been a porch built onto the front of the house since the piano had gone in, (laughs) and it wouldn't come out through the porch. And at the end of the day, and this sounds very serious now, so I have to... I have to say before this that he's absolutely okay, but at the end of the day, my dad ended up in hospital. His lung had collapsed, um, no doubt at least partly due to all the heavy lifting and so on that he ended up doing by himself. But what a day, what a day it was. So my dad was in hospital, and without going into all of the medical details, if your lung collapses, essentially what happens is the part where your lung was meant to be, where it's fallen over, fills up with fluid, and the first thing they have to do is remove it. Now, that, I promise that's the end of all, all, medical, all medical talk in this. That's what happens. The first thing they have to do is they have to take that out. And it's very simple. Um, it wasn't the first time my dad's lung had collapsed, so it wasn't the first time he'd had it done. So he knew what he was in for. But it's a procedure where you are conscious It's a procedure. They don't knock you out. You're conscious, but you are sedated. And this was happening one evening. And my dad said to my mum, look, after it's done, just go home. Because I'm going to be sedated. I'm going to be talking nonsense. I'm not going to remember this tomorrow. Just go home. But the next day, and mum had agreed to this, but the next day, my mum went in to visit and he said, well, I take it you got home early last night. She said, well, no, not really. I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, look, after the procedure, I came in and I came in to check that everything was okay. And it was. And I said, right, I'll go on home. But you said to me, would you stay for a while? It's nice having you here. It's just nice to have a bit of company. I I like having you here. And any time mum tried to leave, that was what he said. And the, the, the nurses and so on in the ward were very kind and very good. And allowed mum to stay, but she got home about midnight. And dad told her off for that. Because he didn't remember anything about it the next day. I remember a a similar experience a few years ago. When I had surgery, nothing serious. My tonsils had to come out. And Justine came up to the hospital to visit after the surgery. 
And it was the first time after the surgery, I wasn't much company for her either, but it was the first time I was really able to sleep properly because it meant a lot to me just to have somebody there. In ministry training, when they're teaching us about being with people who've been bereaved and so on, the thing they say is this. They say, look, there isn't really a right or wrong thing to say. There might be a very wrong thing to say, perhaps if if you're really stupid, but there isn't really a right or wrong thing to say. The important thing is just to be there. Just be there. We were created in a way that was meant for companionship and fellowship. We were created for fellowship with one another. Remember what God said after he created Adam. It's not good for the man to be alone. And I think that in life we know that particularly at times of stress, whether it's in hospital or or, or a time of loss. My dad experienced that in hospital, as did I. And I want to be clear that I'm not just talking about sort of romantic relationships here, because I realized I've talked about folks who are married. Some of us will go through life single, and that's perfectly legitimate. I'm, I'm not talking about romantic relationships, but we were created for companionship and fellowship. It wasn't good for the man to be alone. And when everything is restored to what it's meant to be, and we read about that in the book of Revelation, there's a great multitude of people. It's what we were created for. But how much more, even than that, were we created for fellowship with God? To be present with Him and Him with us. It's how it was in the Garden of Eden before the tragedy of the fall, which was when Adam and Eve were banished from God's presence. And through the rest of the Bible, we read of God's rescue plan. We've been thinking about atonement and intercession and priesthood and how all these things point to Jesus and how he saves us. But the point of all that is that at one moment that we're brought back into God's presence, we're at one with him again. The price is paid for our sins. And we see this all through scripture. All of the references which are on your page and hopefully will appear, all of those say with a few slight variations, I will be their God and they will be my people. He was with them all through the Bible with his people. Noah walked with God. God led his people out of Egypt with the pillar of cloud. He was with them at Sinai. He descended on the mountain. Then he gave instructions for the tabernacle and later the temple so that he could be with them. Then Jesus, John says that he tabernacled with us. He was present on earth and he lives with us now because of what Jesus has done. We have the Holy Spirit present with us. The curtain in the temple was torn. God's presence is no longer in one place as it was especially in one place. God is always present everywhere, but it was especially present in the temple. But we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, in the new heaven and the new earth, the dwelling place of God is with man. We were created to have fellowship with one another, and that's our ultimate destiny. So where does Deuteronomy come into all of this? Because I realized I've said quite a lot and I haven't mentioned Deuteronomy yet. God is present with his people. He speaks to them. He is with them. And, And we've read what is an important part of the story. They're about to enter the promised land. But Moses isn't going to make it because he doubted he sinned. And God has told him the punishment for that is he will not make it to the promised land. But I think above all in this story, we, something, we see something magnificent, which I think is for all of God's people for all time, and that is the promise of God's presence. What a magnificent promise it is. 
Uh, and there are a few things that I think it would be helpful for us to, to think about together this evening. And the first one is this. God remains present with us through change. God remains present with us through change. The people of Israel were about to go through some very significant changes. Their location is about to change, for one thing. They're about to enter the promised land. But their leader is also going to change. We read at the beginning of chapter 31 that Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old and I'm no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy those nations before you and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you as the Lord said. They've had Moses for so long. The fact that he says he is 120, there's a bit of debate about that in the literature, as you might imagine. But it's generally considered in, in, in their culture that 40 years was considered a generation. So he's come a generation since they entered the wilderness. It's been those 40 years that they have wandered about. And by now, Egypt and slavery are a distant memory. And we've seen it, haven't we? We've seen it all through the book of Numbers. The people have complained and they said they wished they were back in Egypt even though God was providing for them in the wilderness. They've forgotten Egypt. They've got used to wandering around in the wilderness and now they're going to settle somewhere. They're going to live in a land of milk and honey. That's a land where they have plenty. Milk suggests that there are animals, there is pasture. Honey suggests that there is, there is fruit, there is luscious ground. But the change of leader too. Moses has been their leader for so long and he's been so faithful. He's been a stalwart. He led them out of slavery. He represented them before God even when they failed. He's not going to see the promised land. His life is coming to an end. So what's going to become of the people of Israel? What are they going to do about this change? What are they going to do in this change? Look what God says to them in chapter 31 and verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. Again, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And he says it again in verse 23 to Joshua. Be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land. I promised them an oath, and I myself will be with you. So how does God tell the people of Israel they're to face change? Well, there are three things he says. First of all, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. God's people do not need to fear change. Why not? Well, too, I will be with you. God's people do not need to fear change because they do not face it alone. And it's not just a, a glib statement that I'll be with you. At verse, in verse 23, God says to Joshua, I myself will be with you. And, and that word myself, that's just an English translator's attempt to, to grasp something that's in the Hebrew there. The details of that aren't important. But God doesn't just say, I will be with you. It's a personal statement in the Hebrew, I myself. Some people sometimes say, you know, God is on our side or, or, or something like that, you know, as if God's just on our team and, and we have him if we need him. 
But there's much more than that here. There's an emphasis on a personal element that God himself is going to go with them. God isn't going to be watching from afar. I myself am going to be with you. I'll be right there. And there's more again because what else does he say in verses 6 and 7? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even though you'll face all kinds of trials and challenges and changes, I will not give up on you. I myself am going with you and I'm not going to leave you ever. And if we are God's people, if we trust in Jesus, then these promises are ours too. Our world changes rapidly too. The world around us is changing and and the church is facing challenges that a generation ago we never imagined. But also in our own lives, things changed. Some, Some things are expected. Sometimes they're unexpected. Maybe the loss of a loved one or struggles with finances or changing economic circumstances of some description or or a change in a family situation in some way. Somebody you know or you love who is facing illness. But we have these promises that we've been reading about. We have God with us because Jesus, in his death on the cross, in bringing us back to God, he is with us. The Holy Spirit lives in us we have the promise too. In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, it actually quotes this from the book of Deuteronomy. It was on that little candle that I showed this morning. This is what it says in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? But we have this in even greater measure than the Israelites ever did because they faced more uncertainty. Their leader, their intercessor, the one who brought them the word of God, the one who represented them before God was changing and would change again. Joshua didn't live forever. But our Savior lives and does not change. Our leader, our intercessor, the one praying for us, The one who is the word of God and speaks to us in the written word does not change. As the author of Hebrews goes on to say, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So we can sing with confidence the old hymn, which I have to say, I mourn the fact that this has been relegated mostly to funerals. Change and decay and all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. And he will. And he does. God remains present with us through change. And secondly, God remains present with us despite our sin. He remains present with us despite our sin. I hope it's of some comfort to all of us tonight to know that through every change in life, God is with us every step of the way. But I think it's sometimes harder for us to grasp just how God can be with us through our sin as we continue to sin. Do you ever feel like God couldn't be with you when you sin? I think sometimes when we stumble and we fall, we feel the guilt of it. We feel like we've let God down maybe, and and it's hard to imagine that God is with us at that moment. But I think we need to seriously rethink that. Now, God will sometimes let us live with the consequences of our sin. We saw it in the video, didn't we? God lets his people choose, and he lets them live with their choice. 
We've seen it through the book of Numbers. They had the choice of whether to listen to God or, or to the spies who were a bit doubtful. And they didn't choose God, so they suffered the consequences. They wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. They complained against God, and they suffered his wrath. Remember the snakes? And yet through all of those things, God was with them. Remember the bronze snake? Look and live. God did not go soft on sin, but he never abandoned his people either. And when he lets them endure the consequences of their sin, it's out of love. He wants them to see how harmful their sin is, and he wants to point them to himself and to his mercy. God says in our passage tonight in Deuteronomy that the people are going to feel again. He goes into some detail. He says it more than once. He's going to go with them into the promised land. They're going to take the promised land, but then they're going to rebel against him. And Moses can well believe it. Well, if you rebelled when I was here, when I was alive, how much more are you going to do it when I'm out of here, when I'm not here to watch you? That's a slight paraphrase of verse 27 of chapter 31. God was going to turn his face away from his people when they sinned in the promised land and let them face the consequences of their sin, but he's never going to abandon them. We read that in the Song of Moses, chapter 32 and verse 46. Yes, God is going to judge his people, but he's also going to have compassion on them. We read that God will take vengeance on his enemies, and some of the language there is quite graphic. But he will atone for his people. They will be at one with him again, despite their sin. And I wonder if you wonder how God could love you and be with you despite your sin. And if you wonder that, you're not alone. You're not alone in this room. You're, you're not alone throughout the church. The Apostle Paul even experienced this. We read in, in Romans 7, I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he goes on to say, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And words we read last week that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus. If you're struggling with guilt tonight because of your sin, if you resonate with Paul when he calls himself a wretch, all I can say is this to you. Look to Jesus, because in him your sins are atoned for. The price is paid. You're not guilty in God's eyes. Just as God would atone for his people, as we read in Deuteronomy, he has atoned for his people in Jesus. And he's with you because Jesus has ascended into heaven and God has sent us his Holy Spirit to be with you. And nothing can separate you from God because of what Jesus has done. There is no condemnation. God remains present with us. He remains present with his people despite our sin. He's present with us in change. And he doesn't leave us nor forsake us despite our sin. In every situation of life, we know he is with us. But our passage tonight doesn't leave us there. It's not just a promise of his presence with us. And according to Deuteronomy, and I want to argue as well, according to the New Testament, there are two ways in which this is available to us, that God has given us a way actually to know his presence with us. Firstly, and primarily, 
We know God is with us through His Word. We know that God is with us because of His living Word, the Bible. What's the first thing that Moses does after God tells him that his time has come and Joshua will take his place? Verse 9 of chapter 31, Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. It says a little bit later that he wrote it all from start to finish. Not a paraphrase, he wrote the whole law. And every seven years, the whole law that he has preached through the book of Deuteronomy and has just written down, that law is to be read out to everyone, men, women, children, foreigners in the land. The people were going to know that God was with them and be reminded of it because they were going to read his words. And it's not terribly different for us. If we're in a relationship with Jesus, the incarnate word of God, the one who came to earth, then we need to read his word so that he can speak to us by the Spirit and so that he can lead us and guide us and so that we know that he's with us. Paul wrote in Colossians 3.16, we read this this morning, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. The word of Christ cannot dwell in us richly if we're not invested in God's word. Can I challenge you this evening, if, if you're not somebody who reads the word regularly, to commit to doing so, even a small piece of it each day. There are loads of resources out there to help you if you don't know where to start, and, and I would be delighted if I could help you, and I know Marty would too. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. God is with us through his word. But do you notice that when Paul says there, we're to let the word of Christ dwell richly in us, and that's through teaching the Bible. The second way, he says, that the word of Christ will dwell in us richly works out in singing. God has given us the gift of song, and the word of Christ dwells in us richly, not just as we're taught the scriptures, but as we sing. And that's what's happened in Deuteronomy too, isn't it? Moses wrote down the law and gave it to the priests and to the elders, and it was to be read out, and they put it in the Ark of the Covenant. But God also gives Moses a song that he is to teach the people. It was a song of praise, a song of prophecy, a song that predicted their sin. It was a song of warning, but it was also a song of hope that God would atone for them. This song would bring the people to hope in God, even through change, and even when they were suffering the consequences of their sin. Now, there's much I could say about singing and the role of it in church, but we don't really have time this evening, so I finish with just a few thoughts. Your ability to sing, or lack thereof, is not taken into consideration here. Moses was to teach this song to all of the people, all men, women, and children in Israel. Moses did not hold auditions. Their singing ability was not important, and neither is yours. It's, it's wonderful when you hear somebody sing well. Of course it is. But the word of Christ can dwell in us all richly through song. And then for the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, then we need to sing songs that are based on the word of God. And that might seem obvious, but it's crucial, and there is a lot of rubbish out there. That doesn't mean that we should only sing psalms and paraphrases, although we should sing them. But it does mean that we only sing songs which are based on the Bible and the truths of the Bible. It's one of the reasons why I picked 
um, that setting of Psalm 84, how lovely is thy dwelling place tonight. It's important that we sing the truths of the Bible. But singing can also get us through the toughest times in our lives. Songs that contain wonderful truths can permeate our hearts and penetrate our hearts in a deep and meaningful way. Personally, any time when I am feeling the guilt of my sin, and that happens, words that often come to mind or words that came to mind and, and, and were given to me when I came to faith, and they're words of a great old hymn, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be? And I don't know the answer. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? But I know he left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for, oh, my God, it found out me. And then I hardly dare to sing the last verse. <clears throat> Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ. My own no condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. How can I sing that? But I know it's true. I know it's true, and songs and music have a way of doing that, and I'm not claiming anything mystical here, but the Lord has given us the gift of song and the gift of music, and he does speak to our hearts in it, and it can be very meaningful, and it can get us through the toughest of tough times. I didn't realize that it was going to happen this evening, but our opening song was How Great Thou Art, and I know it got my father through the toughest of times when he lost his mother, which is about 15 years ago now. Songs can do that. Songs which are based on the truth of the word of God can do so much. Even though the circumstances of our lives change, and at times they change rapidly, even though we stumble and we fall as we sin, we have a Savior who does not change and who has paid the price for our sin so that we can be in relationship with God and know his presence with us. And even though, like the Israelites, we will continue to sin, we continue, in a sense, to pursue Christ to the cross, we can be in relationship with God and know his presence with us. And even though, like the Israelites, we continue to sin because our hearts are hard like theirs, he doesn't abandon us because he didn't abandon them. God does not abandon his people. We're not alone. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, because through change and failure, God remains faithful and doesn't abandon us and never will, and one day we'll dwell with him forever. Let's join together in prayer as we respond to God's word. And as we do that, um, we'll include our prayers of intercession. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you as thankful people. 
Thankful that you are the one who has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. Thankful that through all the change and decay in this world, that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And he abides in us. And thankful too that even despite our own sin, we can join with the Apostle Paul in confessing how wretched we are. But even so, you are with us. And so we know that we are not condemned. No condemnation now we dread. Jesus and all in him is ours. Father, help us in our daily lives as we read your word and as we live for you to have a real sense of your presence with us, leading us and teaching by your spirit through your word. And so, Father, we do now take this opportunity to pray for others, particularly those who we would want to know your presence with them too. Lord, we pray for those whom we know and love those connected to this congregation who are ill or struggling. Lord, even as we prayed earlier, would you draw near to them? May they draw much comfort from your word. And Lord, where it's possible, may there be opportunities for them to worship with us. But even as many of them listen to recordings of our services or to the podcast, Lord, as they listen and as they sing along, would they have a real sense of your presence? And may they be greatly strengthened and encouraged through your word. Lord, we pray for those in our community, those who live around this area who do not know you and so in a sense are far from your presence. Lord, we pray for our neighbors and our work colleagues, those whom we rub shoulders with. Lord, help us to be witnesses for you. But Lord, send your Holy Spirit. May there be a revival of hearts turning to you. Lord, may many know your presence with them. Lord, bless the work of this congregation and of other gospel-proclaiming churches in this area. Lord, may this area be transformed by your presence. May many hearts turn to you. Lord, further afield, we think of the work of missionaries overseas. And Lord, in particular, we want to lift before you this evening Colin Scott in Israel. Lord, as he is away from home for such a long time, Lord, may he draw much comfort and strength from your word and as he worships. Lord, may he know you present with him. And may you bless the work that he and those with him are undertaking in your name. Finally then, Father, for ourselves, as we go from this place to serve you, Father, would you be with us? Would you equip us and bless us on our way? Lord, would you help us to be people who are prayerful, who are committed to allowing the word of Christ to dwell richly in our hearts. Lord, take away distractions that help us, that stop us from doing that. And Lord, help us to draw near to our Savior, even as you draw near to us. And we pray in his name and for his sake. Amen.